Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So it's uh, all for play for still. I think so. Do you want to bet against us? Hi, villains, and welcome to a Victory Tuesday. It's been, I, I, I don't think we've had a Victory Tuesday since we started doing the podcast, Paddy. Jesus knows we've, we've, uh, we've had very few victories anyway in the whole period of time last year as well, but it's good to get started off this season on, uh, on a victory, a victory on a Monday night. Um, always leads for an easy wake-up on a Tuesday, and uh, I was up at the crack of dawn this morning and was in the gym and was walking the dog and got my hair cut, and now it's time for the podcast and into a good day's work, and you know what? I don't care. I don't care how long today is going to be because we won and we finally have three points in the board after a bit of an off season. And, and um, yeah, we vanquished Sheffield United. Paddy, how are you doing today? I'm good. Uh, Victory Tuesday sounds like one of those days that you're talking about an American election or something. <laughs> but yeah. um, <clears throat> look, it's, uh, it wasn't pretty, but I'm happy. It's three points. Um, you know, I think I think if we win 15 games that way this season, I won't be too uh, upset. Um, the most important thing is to get points on the board, and we have them, and we're happy. Um, a lot of people aren't happy, but I'm sure we we'll get that get to that in a while. I don't see the point of it, but we'll uh, we'll discuss it no doubt in uh, in more depth. But um, yeah, very happy to be to be talking about a win and and. As as we said beforehand, that's that's what we needed, and that's what we had to get, and that's what we have. Yeah, it's it's very important to start off the season on a good note. You know, you look at the start, look at the fixtures that we have to start the season. We're actually unbeaten in something like eight games. I saw someone say last night, including preseason. Um, <laughs> which look, we'll take what we can get. Uh, obviously, we finished the season on a bit of a um, 
on a high last year, uh, beating teams like Arsenal United in pre-season. I know it maybe doesn't hold much weight, but then again, did we have our full teams out? Were we fully installed with our, our schemes and systems that we wanted to play? Um, and then, obviously, out against Burton with a throwing together team. This was the first time that we could see this team together and look, a 1-0 win, I think, in any aspect is good. Obviously, I think the, the main talking point of the first 10 to 12, 10 to 15 minutes was the sending off for John Egan. Tell us what you felt on that, Paddy. I've got a very specific uh, view on it myself, but I'd be interested to hear yours as well. Well, I think the precedent was set at the weekend when, when with the other sending off that, that took place. Now, albeit it was a lot more uh, clear-cut in that he tried to uh, get a jockey back off on Christensen <laughs> at the weekend. Yeah, yeah. If, if they send Christensen off... I think John Egan has to go as well because they're talking and they're talking and they're talking. And let's face it, Watkins had his arm out as well, but VAR looked at it. And it's obviously something that they've decided this season that they're going to clamp down on. And uh, if it's if it's a, a red card at the weekend, it's a red card yesterday. And, you know, <laughs> they've decided that. These are the guys that, that make the rules. If it was at the other end, I would be bitterly, bitterly pissed off. Yeah. You know, I don't know whether I'd be pissed off at the player for doing it or be, or pissed off at the, at the, the FA for bringing in the rule. But the precedent was there. Um, you know, I, I thought uh, Christensen was a lot more clear-cut. He was a lot more central. But, uh, you know, if that's the rule, that's the rule. We've got to learn from it now and not to be pulling and dragging when, when there's balls played over the top. So uh, let's see what happens in the coming weeks. Uh, I'm all for it in a lot of ways. I'm all for um, pieces like that being brought into the game um, because, uh, look, I, I, and I know that Jimmy Carragher is head of the, of the centre-halves union. Um, you know, he's fully paid up member. He's the shop steward of the centre-halves union and, and great credit to him. I actually really enjoy his punditry and I'm not having a crack at him. But word for word, he said this line. He said this sentence about it and he said that the centre-back, and I quote, gets pinned and can't get off the attacker in some ways, end quote. Now, I'm no fucking genius here. Far from it, in fact. I'm never going to claim to be one. But John Egan was behind Ollie Watkins, and he had both arms over his shoulder. So how does, yeah. the, how does the defender get, get pinned and can't get off the attacker in some ways? Uh, I just think that, look, if that happened on the 38, 39, 48 minute, no one would have cared. The fact that it was the 12th minute of, of the game, a lot of people were saying, oh, it was a yellow card. I actually fully think that if Ollie Watkins isn't held back there, he's got the pace on John Egan. And look, I, like, I really like John Egan. I think he's a super centre half. Very plays very well for Ireland. And um, he's, just, he's just a no-nonsense type of guy. I really like him. Um, mm. if, he isn't, if Ollie Watkins isn't pulled back there, I think the goalkeeper gets sent off. I think that Ollie Watkins takes around the goalkeeper and Ramsdale brings him down outside the box. Um, I think he has to. Um, I think one one way or another, Watkins was in a position that he was going to get to that ball, and one of the two of them was going to crease him. Yeah, that that that, that was my my view on it. Oh, look, I'm no Nostradamus either. We can't say whether it would or wouldn't happen, but I've heard other views whereby people were saying that Basham is so fast he would have been able to come right around and block it on the goal line. Look, if you're getting into that kind of suit saying and looking at the tea leaves and trying to read the tarot cards and how shit is going to go down after after the whistle is blown, yeah, that's dangerous. If they've decided that the last if if the last man is going to pull and drag it out of someone and stop a goal scoring opportunity, it's a red card. That's that's yeah. their decision. Yeah. Um, you know, as you say, the Nostradamus 
you know, I looked at it, one of the angles and you could see that Ramsdale was stuck to his line. Mm-hmm. But once the pulling and dragging started, he made a run for it. So he probably wouldn't have got there at all, you know, if there was no pulling and dragging. So, yeah. um, you know, it's all ifs, buts and maybes. But, you know, as I said, if it happened at the other end, I'd have been pissed off. Um, probably more pissed off at our centre half for doing it, having seen yeah. what Christensen done at the weekend. So it'll be interesting to see. I, I, I reckon we might see an awful lot of this. Um, I, I reckon there'll be a lot, of, a lot of teams playing that kind of ball mm-hmm. in order to draw the foul out of the defender, which changes, <laughs> changes a lot of stuff as well because of, because of the rule change. So um, we'll be looking at things a whole lot closer over the next few weeks for that reason. Yeah, and I, and I think... And I'm all for this. I'm all for bring back John Gregory's five at the back and play the sweeper. Fuck it. Bring back sweeper football. Let's see people get sent off for being the last man when we've got sweeper. Make him a libero back there. Let him stride out of defense. Imagine Tyrone Mink striding out of defense like Franco Baresi in his pomp. That'd be <laughs> savage. Um, I'm all for it. It's kind of like, uh, it's, it's a throwback to an older style, a more dour style of football, but I'm all for it. And, and look, yeah, what's the difference between playing five at the back with a sweeper like John Gregory did and a high and a, and a highish line um at the edge of at the edge of his box um or sorry a deeper line should I say at the edge of his box if it gets results but then again I wouldn't like to be Matty Target or Matty Cash and all the work they're going to have to do there but um look that's just a little fallacy for myself that I that I, I would be all for because uh, um. You know, that's that's a throwback to an older style of football. Um, there is really no difference, I suppose, really, other than the higher line that the Sheffield United play to press higher up the field. They play three at the back with four midfield, ball locking and and then the Stevens kind of play like that. Um, but they obviously play higher. And uh, with Chris Basham is auxiliary player. He had a fantastic game last night. He was brilliant. And I think I'm going to come on to him next because he was brought down in our penalty area for a penalty. Um I thought it was a penalty in real time. I have no qualms about it. But I'm going to throw a cat among the pigeons here, Paddy, and I'm going to talk about a red card in that instance. I listened to Chris Wilder afterwards. I know he's a bit moany and salty and a bit of bitchy, moany situation he had after the game. And he just doesn't like Villa for some reason. And we spoke about it. And that's okay. Um, but I think he kind of has a point. Uh, now, once again, we, get, we might get into the weeds in this, but my thought process in this is that if a player doesn't make an attempt and brings a player down in the box, that if the penalty is missed, they should get a red card. So mm-hmm. I, I think that I like the rule for a boy. I like the rule for a boy. Now, I'd look, I, I'm going to get slated for this because could you imagine how many people would have been sent off for Man, Man United like in... Yeah, but what, this season. What, do you, what do you do if you're 3-0 up then and that happens? Do you put the ball wide to get a fella sent off? <laughs> uh, I would say if I was 3-0 up, look, as I said, it's not a perfect science. I, I can understand the argument for it and um, mm. uh, I, can, I can see the argument for it. But my, my own personal point of view, and I might have said that I, that I think it should be a red card after that. I actually yeah. retract that statement. I don't. I agree with. I kind of half agree with people who say that. I. Uh, but my own thought process here as well is that um, we can't eradicate tackling in the box. And at the moment, if you do that, you do eradicate tackling in the box. So when Chris Wilder yeah. says it, I initially thought, do you know what? I actually kind of agree with him. I think that would be a decent rule. It's easy enough to implement. But then I went. I kind of came back on myself and I went, you know what? Uh, we'll be eradicating tackling in the box. And then it's just a case of walk around in the box till you get your penalty. You know, yeah. or and then if you didn't get your penalty, they, someone gets sent off, didn't they change the law double jeopardy rule to say that uh, 
if you give away a penalty, a yellow card is sufficient. Isn't that isn't that what can? Yeah, there, there was a double jeopardy that you're being doubly penalised for. Yeah. So unless it was dangerous, unless it was dangerous play, yeah. with a broader red card, yeah. it would be a yellow card for that. Would be a sufficient punishment. Now, did Matty target? You know, number one, did he make contact? Is debatable. I thought I thought Basham was already going down by the time there was even a coming together, um, and he had lost control of the ball. And number two, there's absolutely no way he meant to take him out. See, this is where we get into the weeds on it. You know, you're yeah. back to a refereeing decision again of was it an intentional foul? Like, John Egan's foul on Ali Watkins was intentional. Like, he pulled him back because uh, he was at the wrong Absolutely. side of him. Yeah. Maddie Target clumsily turned and, look, I, I think he did make contact with him. But, like, you know, yeah. five years ago, that's I not watched the game on a, on a big screen. And as you know, with a big screen and a projector, it can be a little bit fuzzy. But I think no matter what angle they put up, they couldn't conclusively see whether he made contact. Yeah. So, so they're looking at the clear and obvious error uh, ruling again, and there was no clear and obvious error to them. They, they, you know, I, I was surprised he gave it. I thought they would have checked it afterwards because he was looking through. They showed the referee's angle of looking at it, and and to call contact from where he where he was standing, I thought was a bit strange. But yeah. Look, uh, I I. Don't disagree that it wasn't a penalty um, if there was contact and it did look like from one of the angles, but by God, they have to go through a lot of angles to see. It looked like there may have been contact, but to me it looked like he was already going down, but that's neither here nor there. Um, uh, look, it's a penalty. We're going to have to live in the world now whereby you go into every single game expecting there's going to be a penalty for one team or the other in every mm. single game. Um, and that's that's just the way I see it. Thanks be to Jesus, we had Packy Bonner and goals. Um, who, like, if for people who don't get that reference, Ireland, Italia 90, Paki Bonner was in goals up against Timofti yeah. from Romania, um, uh, to get into the quarterfinals of yeah. Ireland's first ever World Cup. And it was a, it was a carbon was copy identical. save, a yeah, carbon exactly. copy of it, literally. Yeah. Oh. But he, when he was, he, he stood over it for a long time because there was a lot of waiting and whatever. And I said, He's telegraphing where this is going. We can we can see it's going to the keeper's right. <laughs> Anyone who's ever taken a penalty or or uh, studied penalties would know exactly where it was going. Yeah. Um. We we were in the we were with the Munster Lions in the pub, and I said, "This is going to his right. Surely yeah. he knows it's going to his right. It's just a question of him getting a good solid." And I'm sure he's practiced it, but that knack now of being able to keep a foot on the line. Is nearly an art in itself, and and they went back and looked at it. Now it took about five minutes before they actually showed it. But when the ball is kicked, his foot is still on the line, and mm. it it was it was perfection for a penalty save. It was absolutely brilliant. Yeah, um, yeah. Like what a way to endear yourself to the fans. I tweeted out, just build a statue. No, <laughs> you know, if yeah. your first meaningful meaningful um, I suppose contribution to your new team after people kind of going. Ooh, is a backup goalkeeper worth twenty million? Is to save a penalty in a game that you're up, <laughs> that you're playing eleven against ten, and the expectations are heavily on you, and you've just given away a penalty, and it's like fucking Villa again. They just did it, and um, you know, in that kind of a in that kind of a crucible, to be able to turn around and save it was uh, was brilliant. And I loved what he said after the game. He said, 
clean sheet, three points and save a penalty, that's like scoring a goal, a hat-trick for Scoring a hat-trick, yeah. <laughs> what, what a man. I, I think he's going to endear himself. I just think he seems to come across as, as just a, a sound bloke. And I think, I think, he's, I think he's really, like, the, and I said it before, the fact that he's 10 years or 11 years in, in, in the UK or playing British-style football, should I say, is uh, this is all second nature to him. He understands the game. He understands what things like that mean. He, prob- like, he probably knows how big Aston Villa are. Be able to attract mm. a, a, an Argentinian international to Aston Villa is tough enough, but he was probably looking at it from the outside, going, "Villa are a huge club. I'll be able to talk to ten or twelve people to tell me all about the massive history that Villa have." Whereas if you were ever Benega or something like that, you go, "Aston Villa, Villarreal, Sevilla, they're all Villas as well." You know, so like he probably yeah. he just probably doesn't doesn't get the same kind of. Um, um, I suppose, kind of uh, fervor the, the other clubs with, with Villa. And look, I'm delighted to have Emmy Martinez there. He did. Do you know what else I loved as well? Came out twice. He didn't have much to do, obviously. Um, bar the, the, they put a lot of confidence in him to to play the ball with his feet. And Conor Horan uh, kind of left him short at one stage, I think is what we were calling yeah. it in the first half. And uh, I was expecting it to go off uh, Ollie Burke's arson into the back of the net. But once again, uh, it didn't. And he did fantastically. But... There was one or two times when the ball was was kind of up for grabs, and he just came out and caught it over over the top of people. Um, last yeah. season, we would have seen Nyland would have came and maybe punched it, maybe not getting a strong hand in it. We would have seen Reina come and punched it as well. Uh, I when he jumped and he caught it, and then just like he was strong in that instance. Yeah. There was another cross in the second half. Sander Berger, I think. No, it wasn't. It was. Yeah, it was. It was Sander Berger kind of crossed the ball in and it went too close to him. And he just looked solid. You know, it was one of those crosses whereby he was in the right place and he he read it perfectly. Um, so there was no having to backpedal, catch the ball and maybe fall back over the line, um, <laughs> which we've seen obviously too often for, uh, for, for Aston Villa and Sheffield United. But, you know, the less he has to do this year, the better he'll look. <laughs> you know, that's, that's a sign of yeah. a good goalkeeper. The less they have to do, the better they look. And, yeah. uh, and I think that kind of brings me on to, let's talk about the game as a whole um, and go up through the lines. The, the back four, Paddy, give me your thoughts on those guys. Give me your thoughts on how they, they looked as a, as a unit. I thought, I thought it looked very solid. Um, I know because we, we weren't exposed as much, obviously, being down to 10 men so early, they, they, they lacked a little bit of attacking. Um, Apart from the penalty incident, I didn't see any major um, danger there. Um, I thought Matty Cash had a great game. I know I was a bit uh, a bit critical of his rashness at the weekend, but I thought he played very well. Um, Matt Target got involved a lot, did very well. I was a little bit worried about Konza when he when he pulled up, just mm. coming out for the second half, and um, it, was, it was quite funny because. Every time the camera went on him, he looked like he was laboring. And I was like, we've done this before. We need to get him off. And it went on for 15 minutes. And then what happens? <laughs> he scores the goal. So, um, you know, I, 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 we can't have passengers, even with the extra men, we can't have passengers. So I felt he should have been taken off once he was injured. Um, I did, I, maybe if, they, if the others had 11, they may have done that. They mightn't have given him the chance to run it off, but he seemed to he seemed to be okay and moving well, and uh, managed to do an old sliding knee celebration. So he wasn't yeah. that. But it's time he scored. Yeah. Um. But yeah, overall, um, Mings looked so much in control. 
they looked a lot happier having a, a, a solid goalkeeper behind them. Uh, I think he'll instill confidence in them. And he's, he himself spoke very well at the back four in his interview after the game. Yeah, but all in all, there's very few complaints you could have there. Yeah, uh, loved the back four last night. Matty Target is like the the tactic for other teams coming at us is to attack Matty Target, get as many balls down his wing as you possibly can because they know that he's playing the overlap with John uh, with uh, Jack Grealish. But he prefer, he performed well. Who score have who scored have him down as a six point one rating? Once again, that's probably the fans underrating him. And um, this happened last year as well. Matty Target gets underrated earlier on in the year because everybody attacks down his wing. And look, we gave away crosses, very few crosses, but we gave away crosses from that wing. But we dealt with them, which is the main thing, and it didn't cause us very many problems. And um, the penalty aside, the one time when Sander Berger kind of just skipped into the area, Douglas Louise got his body across him as well. I thought was there were probably the only two major danger areas. Uh, I thought that the Sheffield United, listening to the commentary, you'd think the Sheffield United were all over us, but 28% possession kind of tells a different story. So, uh, you know, that's, I thought we controlled the game, but we controlled it from the back as well. We had plenty of pace there to deal with Ali Burke. We had plenty of power to deal with McBurney when he came on, and they never got their full backs really into the game, especially mm. Ender Stevens didn't get into the game at all. And that's where I come to Matty Cash because Matty Cash, the way he contorts his body to whip in those crosses is beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. Like those, those crosses, and I know we're crossing it into like four or five men uh, defences in there at that stage because Berger, Lundstrom and Fleck even were all back in the box. So you were looking at like almost five people in the box to Ollie Watkins and maybe Trezeguet. So we did struggle yeah. with getting people up there. We talked about that in a moment. But Matty Cash's crosses were whipped I love the arc. I love the the pace and the ball in there. And um, yeah, when we get used to playing with him, when our players they get used to playing with him, and we don't play yeah. against the team that is down to ten men, which I think was detrimental um, to how we would normally play. Um, I'm looking forward to Cash's crosses for yeah. Sure. Well, it changed, it changed everything. The, the the sending off changed everything. They were completely parking the bus like mm-hmm. in the in the hope of getting something and hitting us on the break, which is exactly what you'd expect the team to do. And for that reason, you know, the, the box was smothered. We, we weren't able to get Watkins into the game. But I agree with you, Matty's crossing was on point. Um, as the same can be said for, for Connor's deliveries from set pieces, they were, they're all very good. Yeah. He didn't offer a whole pile else, um, unfortunately for him. And I think he was either disappointed in himself or disappointed in being taken off. Um, but I think, I think, like, Target as well, great ball in for, for the for the goal. Um, we we've got plenty of people there now that can deliver a set piece, including Jack, who who's come on leaps and bounds in that department as well. So, um, delighted to see another attack and threat of of Matty Cash's balls into the box, and hopefully we're not looking at blanket defenses on a regular basis that we can get Ollie Watkins, um, playing off the shoulder of the of the two centre halves and getting in and scoring headers or tap ins <laughs> back post. So, um, yeah, as I, I was I was very impressed with Matty Cash last night. I haven't not criticised him, but you know I thought he was a bit erratic against Manu and they they attacked down that side all day. So they obviously sensed that as well. So you know he'll grow into it. He'll he'll he, I think he'll become a better player playing with us. And uh, you know I think he's genuinely really happy to be there and he's and he's enjoying life. So um, I think he, I think he will be. A good player for us this season, without a doubt. So, uh, yeah, can't complain. It's uh, 
it was solid. The back four was solid. Um, going forward, I thought they were great. The two full-backs were great. Um, it's obviously a different type of game as well because, you know, the, the, there's very little pressure being put on the full-backs as they're coming forward. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how it goes when we come around again next Monday. Top quiz, Paddy. Who had the most touches of any Aston Villa player last night? Um, oh, jeepers. Um, that's a tough one. Probably Mings. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, not far off. Douglas Luiz had 99 touches, but second was Matty Cash with 84. And you can see with the heat map that we have, yes, we spent a lot of time in and around the, the kind of the, the, the kind of the edge between the second third of the field and, and the attacking third of the field. We spent a lot of played ball around there an awful lot, of, an awful lot of times, maybe 15 yards from their box. But Matty Cash was up and down that, that right wing like it was no one's mm. business last night. And he really pinned down the Stevens back where he had 84 touches for a right back in his debut in the Premier League. That shows an awful lot of confidence in, uh, from Dean Smith and him. Got him attacking. Now, I know we're playing against 10 men. It'll be interesting to see how, how many touches he gets and how adventurous he gets when we're playing against the team or a pin back. But that was really, really interesting. And um, Ming said 81 touches as well. So he was the next highest. Um, but this is, this is actually really interesting. Luis, 99. Uh, Matty Cash, Mings. You have to go then. Matty Target has 79 then after that. And then it gets to Jack Grealish. But I want to talk about our midfield next before we do get on to Grealish. And uh, obviously, Louise, 99 touches. He was the metronome. They passed it around an awful lot. We had 732 touches to their 374. That's like a stat that would be against us last year. That would be a reversal of a stat last year for us. And realistically, it wouldn't be that close, only they were a man down as well. So we're in, in context as well, yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. How do you think our midfield played last night? We mentioned Conor Oren there a minute ago, and uh, obviously I mentioned uh, mentioned Douglas Louise. What way? Yeah. Um. I I I was I was happy enough with Louise. Um, Louise was you know is the same Louise that came back after lockdown as as a as a really good op, uh, option to have in there and, and and like a new signing. Um, I think McGinn is slowly getting back to himself as well. Um, went missing for periods of the game. I thought, like the game passed him by, and the same could be said for Connor. But um, McGinn is slowly but surely getting back to himself, and and you know, I'm, I can't wait for the day that he's firing on all cylinders. He had a really good game against Man U, and I thought that I thought that he would have brought it into last night, but it was a completely different game. Mm-hmm. Once again, we keep going back to the sending off, but it, it does change everything from from everyone's point of view. So, um, you know, I, th- I thought Connor was missing, missing an action mm. a lot of the game. He didn't get into it. He didn't get on the ball. Obviously, his, his set pieces were fine. Um, I was a bit disappointed to see him because he trudged off just after, just when the we we made the substitution just before we scored. So he was walking around behind the goal. I was a bit disappointed to see that he didn't celebrate. But I don't I don't know whether they. It was too quick to see whether he celebrated or not, but mm-hmm. the camera catches the back of his head as uh, I saw that the ball hits the back of the net, and he's not—he's not hasn't got his arms in the air or whatever. So I was a bit disappointed, but I'm sure he—I'm he, sure he's—he's um, he's a perfectionist, Connor. So I could see he was probably disappointed in himself again and disappointed that he was taken off 
So there's a, there's a lot of ways of looking at it, but uh, um, for me, it wasn't one of his better games. But like he mm. he has them, and then he'll come out the next day and 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 score a rasper of a free kick. Um, I thought the game was crying out for when we couldn't break them down. We've got you know McGinn can do it, Louise can do it, Connor can do it. We should have been looking for that person sitting in the hole of a quarterback, yeah, and the ball into the edge of the box and then passing it back. Connor's well able to do it. Luis is well able to do it. And we just never got the Jack had one effort that went kind of along the ground and by far post, the keeper had it covered, but he should have hit it first time. Thought Luis had a chance where he could have hit it first time and he took a touch. Um, so it's, you know, there's a lot, a lot to take in with the midfield, but I, I thought that was somewhere where we could have exploited them that we didn't do because they're all sitting so deep. There was a, num- a number of occasions you know, and, we, and we've broken down teams in the past by doing a jacket score a number of times that way. So, um, all in all, it weren't, wasn't a bad performance from the midfield. Um, but, uh, yeah, it bypassed them an awful lot because of, because of the way we were set up once mm. they were down to 10. I think so too. Um, here's my hypothesis in John McGinn. A lot of people are saying, look, he isn't back up to speed after, after lockdown. Um, I think John McGinn, is being asked to play a different role since lockdown than he was asked to play beforehand. Just like Douglas Louise is being, was, was being asked to play. I think that whole midfield, I've spoken about it a couple of times before, that whole midfield's job is to press, 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 and it's less about getting forward as quick as you can. I know McGinn, what we saw before with McGinn was to drive forward with the ball. And I think what Dean Smith has asked, and it's led to us conceding the fourth fewest amount of goals since lockdown, has asked us to be more disciplined in midfield. So while we look at people like uh, Matty Target maybe being an issue, while we looked at uh, right back maybe being an issue, and I was guilty of this as well, a lot of the problems were from indiscipline maybe in midfield or mm. um, you know, maybe operating a zonal marking. So I think that we see an awful lot of a, a much higher press in midfield. Jack is cutting, coming inside in defence a small bit more. We play an, an inside forward or an outside forward, whatever you want to call it, on the right-hand side in Trezeguet, El Ghazi, and I think Bertrand Trory is going to play there. So our out ball is always going to be to the right-hand side. That's why Matty Cash can bomb up that wing as well. I think that if we win the ball on the left, we play a lot of raking balls across to the right because that's where we want to start our attacks from. Now, is it very predictable? Probably is. But it all is to be seen in who we bring in there. And I think McGinn's biggest thing is that he's um, been asked to play a different role. He's getting used to it. And maybe he's not being asked to bomb forward as much. When mm-hmm. you look at his touch maps, it's not as if McGinn is hiding away from the ball or they don't feel confident in passing to him. I think he's just doing a different role. What do I have to base that on? I had a lot more just as the season ended with a, with a study I was doing on heat maps for where our central midfielders were. Just kind of trust me on that, I think, because I, I've lost it. I deleted it by mistake. So that's why I, I haven't thrown anything up on Twitter. But just trust me on that. The McGinn is in different <laughs> positions than, uh, than he used to be, um, than he was prior to, prior to lockdown. But I don't think there's really much we can talk about midfield. They were not under pressure. They were just there to tap the ball around to each other, really. Should they have gotten a bit more passes? Yes. Should they have bombed forward? Yes. Should they have been the ones to bomb forward past the line of the, of the, the passer? And should it not have been Mings and Kanza? 
when we were at, when we conceded that penalty because it was their fault for the penalty and not for the amount of targets. Um, we'll come back. To, well, we won't come that come on to that today because I know we got a we got a we both have a hard stop for coming up very soon. Um, yeah. but how do we feel that the strikers went? I thought Ollie Watkins didn't really get into the game, but not through no fault of his own. I think yeah. they decided to to corral him with the two centre halves and then let midfield look after Jack Grealish, and they did that very well. Um. You know, Trezeguet is going to be Trezeguet out there. He's not going to, like yeah. he's going to sneak in the back post. But if he doesn't do that, you know, it's it, he's going to give you effort. I thought he played really well, to be honest with you, in defence, and, and and he played fine. But yeah. yeah, I thought I thought Trezeguet was um, a lot more lively early on. I thought I thought he worked a lot harder than he normally does. Um, I, I thought Jack struggled to get into it a little bit. Um, it was one of our, one of his quieter games, and then I think the the blanket defence kind of nullified uh, Watkins in there so obviously he didn't have too many chances he did he did create one chance for himself where he ju- it just went over the, the top corner um, over the bar um, but I think that I think would I be correct in saying that it was only real shot yeah um, yeah. so you know it, it was it was hard to it's hard to criticise anyone when you know and by God were they set up you know to defend they immediately went into um, defence mode and it was two banks of four. And they, they moved really, really well and they defended very, very well. And it was just so hard to break them down. And a lot of a lot of people doing a lot of ne- giving out a lot of negative stuff about it. But it is what it is. You know, the, mm. we can't control the fact that there was a player sent off and they went into their shell. And it is very, very hard. And, and you know, what I did say about, you know, the, the quarterback role of someone taking shots from the edge of the box... You're playing against a really, really good goalkeeper as well, so maybe that wasn't part of the game plan to, you know, to be trying to test him from range. But maybe it should have been. But um, yeah, quiet, quiet from Jack. I thought Trezeguet gave a lot more than he usually did, and then Watkins just couldn't get into the game, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Who do you give our? Actually, guys, we've got we've got a sponsor. Well. We've got a sponsor, indeed. Uh, going to sponsor our man of the match um, ratings that we're going to give for, for people at the end of every game. And it's going to be called God's Choice after Paul McGrath. It's going to be called the Laker Sports God's Choice. Thank you very much to Laker Sports. They're a sports, uh, sports clothing company based in Limerick in Ireland. And anybody, if you're looking for any team wear, hoodies, Anything at all, you can find them on Laker Sports. Uh, just look for Laker Sports, you'll find the guys there. You can chat to John, John Carroll there in Laker Sports, really good guy. He's going to be doing up some stuff for us here in the coming days as well. Small bit of merchandise, we're going to make a little foray into that market, and uh, you know, I'll, I'll show that to you guys later. So, this is the Laker Sports God's Choice Man of the Match. Paddy, who are you going to give it to today? Um, for me, although he didn't have a whole lot to do, I'm going to give it to Emmy Martinez. Because John will like that because John's an Arsenal fan. <laughs> <laughs> um, I know, I know that the safe thing to do would be give it to Douglas Louise. I thought he was solid. Um, I thought Matty Cash did well, obviously, as I said. But, you know, as I said, Martinez said himself, it's a hat-trick, it's a clean sheet, it's yeah. a penalty save, it's three points. I think it's the perfect debut for him. So he would be my man of the match. Great stuff. I agree because even if we did get the goal down the other end, we would have been one nil down if Martinez didn't save the penalty. And for me, that means more than scoring the goal at the other end. Guys, thank you so much for listening. Uh, as always, um, we will be back to you later on in the week. We might have one or two guests on during the week as well. We'll see. 
Uh, but we'll be back to you later on before the before the, the Bristol game. As always, follow Paddy on at Philip Paddy. You can follow me on at Love McGraw Pod. We absolutely love any interaction. So follow us on Twitter and, and you know like and share the podcast as well there. We're off to a deadly start, guys. Three points from, from three points. Can't ask for any more. Bring on Bristol, bring on Fulham, and let's get a great, great winning run going. Up the villa. Up the villa. Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.